Marty and Ariadna, and we're here with our very first, very special episode of Harp Tales Stories from Behind the Strings um, with a very, very special guest. Yay! Yay! Hi! Please welcome <laughs> Dr. Laura Sherman. Yes. Um, we're so happy that you have agreed to be on our little venture, and we're just so excited to ask you some very fun questions. Well, thank you. It is truly an honor to be your very first guest. And I'm so proud of you both for this fantastic idea. You're both so creative and work so well together. This is this is going to be so special. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. So I guess we'll just get started. Um, I think it's important also to note that yeah. we are your students. We're in your studio. So we've known you for a few years now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we're just so excited to be able to do this with you. And yeah, both yes. of us are excited. Excited, yeah. No, I think. Well, I think one of the reasons why we wanted to do this um, interview with you is because you have such like a big presence here, kind of like in Southwood. You do so mm-hmm. much in the community, and like I think as harpists, we're just kind of getting in and out into the world. It's nice to have a role model like that. That's yeah. having all of this. Um, activity so and you also have such experience in like the world of music business and in the world of academia that I think that people are would be really interested to hear Mm -hmm. and I know we are that's one of the reasons we wanted to study with you so we're really just here to pick your brain (laughs) (laughs) this is really about well that sounds like fun (laughs) but yeah as as for starting let's start at the beginning like how did you get into the harp your first harp teacher like what how did how did you get here okay um it was actually an accident that I learned to play the harp. Like I started in piano when I was six years old, and then I was just interested in instruments, so I would go into the band room and and you know play percussion or try to play percussion or you know try to. I picked up the violin and the cello and all these things, and so my band and orchestra director said, "Hey, you, you play the harp. I mean, you play the piano, uh, and we have a harp in the closet that nobody's been using, but we need it for the next concert." So we don't have a teacher, but we have a book and we have a tuning key. So just go in the closet and figure it out. She didn't quite say it that way, but that's how it sounded to my high school level brain that was going, but I just want to be a concert pianist, you know? So um, for a while I did that, I tried to play it, um, but then they found a teacher. uh, He was actually a violin teacher who went to Eastman. And at the time at Eastman, you had to take secondary lessons in a different instrument. So he had a few harp lessons. So he was my very, very first harp teacher. His name was Ray Pankarowitz. And he was fantastic. I still have the book you know, where he signed it and everything. And then a, uh, a harpist who had studied with Carlos Salzedo moved to town to play in the symphony. I think at the time it was called the Norfolk Symphony, but her name was Alyssa Dickin. And um, we're actually still friends. Um, but she was my very first teacher. And as I said, she studied with Salzedo. She had a Salzedo modeled harp. At the time, my parents didn't you know, have the money to buy me an instrument. So when school was closed, she said, come on over practice on my harp and so she became like a my first harp mom and um so I studied with her for a couple of years so I have to ask how did that concert go yeah like the the first concert (laughs) do you remember that's a great question I have no memory whatsoever so I think I might have blocked it out but I mean I I was very resistant to learning the harp because I like I said I've been playing for over 10 years in the piano and I really um, felt comfortable with it mm-hmm. because I love to practice. I love to play. Um, but I went to my piano teacher actually, and I said, I have this chance to learn the harp and I want to go to college. What should I do? And she said, 
definitely go and take harp lessons. You know, just make sure you do that just because there are fewer harpists than there are pianists. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit. So I did double major in piano and harp when I first started in college. But, you know, again, I felt like I had a lot of catching up to do with the harp because I started in the beginning of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to let the piano go. But I do miss it. So it was kind of an accident. (laughs) So where did you you start uh, your harp degree like that? With the, you were doing the piano and harp, where was that? So that, I did it locally at first, because okay. again, everything was kind of up in the air, and that was, you know, it was called Old Dominion University. That was mm-hmm. my first year. And then I was able to get my bearings and apply in time, you know, and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that high school director who suggested I mm-hmm. learn harp, she went to Florida State. And mm-hmm. so she, um, she said, why don't you apply there? It's a great, we have a great music school. Um, at the time, again, I felt like I had just started the harps, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I just saw the difference in my ability to play the piano and the harp. So I said, okay, I'll apply as a music therapy major. And I got in as music therapy. And then mm-hmm. when I started taking lessons with Mary Bridget Roman, who was there for over 50 years, she mm-hmm. just retired over a year ago. Again, my second harp mom. <laughs> um, she's like, uh-uh, you're going to be a harp performance major. Aww. I'm like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. So she was really a great mentor, very supportive. So I switched majors. Um, but then I kind of won an audition that I wasn't supposed to win, and I moved to New York. <laughs> That's, so I never <laughs> finished my degree there because oh. the, there was this organization called National Orchestral Association, NOA, and they had been in existence for like 50 years mm-hmm. or something, and they would go around to all the universities and audition. It's like a training orchestra like the New mm-hmm. World Symphony now, but New World Symphony didn't exist at the time. Um, but the agreement with the schools was you would only take the students who were graduating that year. Oh. And so they auditioned all over the country. They picked me, even though that was my very first orchestra audition. My teacher, Mrs. Roman, wanted me to take it for the experience of doing it. So there was no pressure whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so they invited me to do it. And because of that, they were never, uh, NOA was never allowed to come to Florida State ever again. So <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Oopsie. So I moved to New York at age, what was I guess, 19, to do this National Orchestral Association, which... Um, you know, it's not affiliated with a school. We did rehearse at Columbia University, but that that was um, when I was quite young and the beginning of my New York days, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, How so many of these things have just happened like accidentally. Absolutely. So it's incredible. Absolutely. It's like, I accidentally, there's a harp in the closet that I accidentally stumbled <laughs> upon, and then I accidentally became a harp major, and then I accidentally got this awesome. <laughs> so that's amazing. Well, it continues. <laughs> If you don't mind, if you don't mind, please. Oh There's another accident. So, as part of the NOA National Orchestra Association, we would we had it's like like New Orleans. We had rehearsals five days a week, twice a day, morning mm-hmm. and afternoon. But we would also and we'd have a different conductor every week, oh. which I thought was invaluable um, because you learn to read conductors very quickly. Mm-hmm. But we had monthly concerts at Carnegie Hall for the entire season that we did it. So one of the concerts, we were doing the Britain Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. So I played the harp part too, but they were short of percussionist. And so I, I did the xylophone part to that as well. I just got up and went over and did that. But um, there happened to be a contractor in the audience that day who was looking for a harpist to go on tour with a Broadway show with a chorus line. So afterwards, he just kind of came up from the audience and said, hey, what are you doing this summer? Do you want to go on tours? Just probably three months. He was, he was from Germany, but he's like, it's probably just for three months. 
And, and it turned into two years. So wow. I actually stopped my undergrad degree for, what is that, a total of three years, the NOA plus the T. So that was an accident that I started touring with Broadway shows. That's fell incredible. in love with playing that kind of music and, and being paid to go literally around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, incredible. Asia, New Zealand, and all, you know, all over Europe. So that was an accident too. <laughs> oh my <laughs> crazy. goodness. And now, like, if you are seeing the clip, we're like sitting in front of your, like, Grammys. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel very fortunate. Very yeah. fortunate. I mean, we all know, like, there's so many amazing harpists in the world, and it really is, like, just diligence, perseverance, and mm -hmm. a lot of luck, too. So, as you could see, like, life just kind of put me in these positions, but I was ready for those positions. At the time, I didn't think I was ready for those mm -hmm. positions, but, but you know, if not, I certainly grew into them as, as quickly as possible. So, I feel very fortunate. Um, and I'm also grateful that I am kind of a hard worker too, because I love this, as you yeah. can probably tell. Yeah. That's very interesting. So what? So you toured was for Broadway. You mm -hmm. mentioned was it like a variety of different shows, or do you remember which one was like the very first one that you did? Yeah, definitely. It was a chorus line. Uh, this was the late '80s, a long time ago. A chorus line was actually still running on Broadway at the time. It was the longest running on Broadway show. Mm -hmm. uh, Fantastics was the longest running off Broadway show. Okay. Um, and um, so that was the first one. And then the same producer, um, when that was closing up, they said, okay, um, 42nd Street is going out. Do you want to just hop onto that one? So I did that. And then he said, okay, Evita's, you know, now going out. So I did those three shows for the two years. I just put everything in storage and, and went on tour until my dad my god bless him he said um laura you're the first person in our family to go to college he said please please get off the road finish your degree just so somebody in our family can finish a college degree so i ended up finally i didn't want to leave tour because i was having so much fun but i did so two years later your story is incredible but my thoughts are a lot of these things would stress me out a lot like the whole like starting in the orchestra immediately or like switching majors would really stress me out or just being on Broadway like do you have any tips for dealing with stress yes tips and also just a little bit of background yeah so um as you know I have a couple of harpist friends I've known for a really long time one in particular mm -hmm. my friend Lisa I've known her for over 40 years and inevitably she'll say especially if she's introducing me to somebody she says this is my friend Laura. She's the bravest person I know. And I stop her every time. And I said, Lisa, I'm not brave. She says, you did X and Y and Z and you know, all this stuff. And I said, it wasn't that I was brave. It's just, in a way, I was kind of naive. You know, like my, I followed my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, like I grew up in an area that they didn't really understand. And there was classical music, but most of the, the, <laughs> the locals are like, what? You're a classical musician? What? You play the harp? That's weird. Like I was the weird kid, mm -hmm. you know? So I thought, okay, I'll go to college. I'll just ignore that. But then when I got this opportunity to go to New York, I'm like, those are my people. You know, everybody goes there, right? Mm -hmm. To like create and be amongst, you know, to find their own tribe and their own people. Um, so, so it wasn't bravery or anything. It was really, and my, advice just in general especially for young um, musicians is just you know follow your heart there will be setbacks there will be obstacles it will get scary you know what I mean but just try to always stay in tune with that and don't let anybody anybody pop your your dream bubble you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, I mean there are going to be times when you might need to reappraise it or adjust it or whatever like I tried to do you know the people yeah. that I respected if they said no I don't think you're good for this direction mm -hmm. you know maybe go this direction um, 
but in terms of stress in particular, mm -hmm. um, understanding that we all get nervous and stressful about things, but we don't always make the right decisions. Like our brain, it's, it's I'm not a doctor, not a, like a physical <laughs> doctor, you know, but the chemicals in our brain are in fight, flight, fight and flight mode. Mm -hmm. And it's not the best environment to make good decisions. So like managing the stress mm -hmm. is gonna be super, super important. So whatever kind of techniques work for the individual, for me it's meditation, deep breathing, um, yoga, and lately I've been doing a lot of swimming. To me, oh. swimming is my absolute bliss right now. Mm -hmm. I, I do other things too, like sail and stuff like that. But like in the moment, you're feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, I'm going for a swim. I'm gonna yeah. turn this around. And inevit inevitably, like I'll have just thoughts that kind of like, it becomes clear. Like, oh, you know, this makes more sense. You know, once you calm down that you're, I think it's called the parasympathetic nervous system, I think, so, yeah. you know, and deep breathing is like an emergency thing. Like if say you're getting ready to go on stage, take, Four deep breaths, ten deep breaths, whatever you know. There's mm -hmm. there are all kinds of breathing exercises involving holding and releasing, but you can keep it super simple because. And I learned this recently. There actually there are um, uh, fibers in your lung passages that when you br breathe deeply, mm -hmm. it reassures your brain that everything's okay. That's like the physical aspect because you can be like, oh yeah, breathing, yeah right. We breathe all the time, but no, there are physical things that happen when you breathe shallow, shallowly, um, it signals to the brain that there's a problem, right? But when that you breathe deeply, then it says, okay, there is no problem because your breath mm -hmm. and your heart beat are usually the first two things that go for I that. I just read a book about this. You actually. did. Uh, breath by James Nestor. You might love it if oh my you're goodness. into breathing. Absolutely. It's all about like how to breathe and how like in Western cultures we're like notoriously not breathing correctly yeah and like how to deep breathe and breathing through your nose and like even like tongue posture like where to keep oh, your interesting. tongue in your mouth to yeah. breathe better so, yeah, yeah 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 I'll read it I'll read it <laughs> yeah. and all of this I think is great information mm -hmm. I also just want to stress that we have what we need to calm our nervous system immediately yeah. it's not complicated it's not it's non-religious it's yeah. just physical and it works you know and if you practice it a little bit before you get nerves and issues you know um, anxieties or whatever um, then you could just go right into it because you have a habit yeah that's developed which is really important that is very all very good information but I'm wondering is because that's I'm assuming this is stuff you kind of like learned over time and just mm -hmm. assimilated into your practice but like in the beginnings like what was like were you stressed? Were you or? stressed? Yeah. Or were you just kind of like, this is great. I love yeah. this. This is fun. Not even a problem. <laughs> I should say, here's Lisa's number. Go call her. <laughs> because <laughs> I was absolutely stressed. Because first of all, I, I'm not sure if I come across this way because when I get into teacher mode, it might not show up. But um, I'm a super shy, very, very shy, introverted person. Mm -hmm. I love living in my own little creative world. I also love sharing that. But mm -hmm. um but the big bad, bad, sometimes bad world or the challenging world, let's just put it that way, it, it can be very intense for sensitive people. And mm -hmm. that's me, for sure. I think a lot of us as mm -hmm. artists and creators and musicians, that's one of our strengths is being so sensitive, right? Because we can, we can express music in, in a 
wider range than somebody who might not be as sensitive, right? And um, but when you meet the real world and the challenges of the real world, real world that could be tough. And these are in the days before the internet where you can Google everything and you know, not every answer to every problem is available on Google, but this was like get out the yellow pages and figure out how to call the city of New York because your upstairs neighbors are, you know, blasting music at four AM. Like, you know, like like, you know, life struggles and issues and stuff and just it was absolutely a work in progress and I'm still a work in progress, but I've always been interested in that because Somewhere in the back of my brain, it was like everything that I encounter hopefully makes me wiser and it hopefully makes me a better teacher yeah. eventually too, you know? And so like just keep refining it, refining it. Like I know in the time I probably didn't say to myself, this is an opportunity for growth, you know, but it really <laughs> yeah. is. All these things are. And I just managed them the best I could. I mean, I look back and I think, oh, I should have done this this way or that way. But with the resources I had at the time, I th mm -hmm. I tried to do the best that I could. But it was not like, oh boy, this is all going to work out. It's like, no, yeah. my rents do, <laughs> and blah blah blah. You know, so yeah, yeah, a work in progress. What was it like living in New York as like a nineteen-year-old, yeah. freshly like college to the side? Like, how was what was that like? So it um it was invigorating, and also I found myself getting constantly surprised. You know, like oh. I have to deal with this. Like, this is my adult. I'm, I'm adulting, right? Yeah. My first chance at, I mean, I don't think that we used that word back then, but mm -hmm. like the only place I could find to live was a five floor walk up. And so, and with, I think I have four or five roommates in a three bedroom apartment. I mean, oh it was just, gosh. yeah, it was, it, and with the heart, yes, of course, yes, we're yes, all harpists, yeah. right? And so, and it was in, at the time, um, they called it Spanish Harlem, but it was, there was a lot of drug activity and you could hear shots in Central Park. I said, New York's hopefully not like that anymore. I don't think it is. But at the time there were, there were some crime and homeless mm -hmm. issues and mental illness on the streets and stuff. So I just, I, what I, I never knew about any of these things. Right. Mm -hmm. But when I needed to move the harp up and down, there was a harp already at the hall. So I didn't have to do this every day, but if I had gigs or need to move the harp, I would literally just ask some passerby on the street, hey, excuse me, can you help me carry my harp up five flights of stairs, please? <laughs> I mean, again, that's not very smart, but oh I, at gosh. the time I'm like, there's nobody home. I don't know anybody. I just moved here. This guy looks strong. He, he looks like he's not gonna <laughs> you know, be harmful. And, and people did it. And, and it, it was really strange because there were a couple of drug kind of people that hung around in the door area and they got to know me and I never I never asked them but they'd be like hey how you doing harp lady you know so it's just very strange very strange but yeah. but you know it's Five flights five of stairs. Flights. Oh my god! I used to live up one flight of stairs, that was and I would terrifying. get the Mormon missionaries next door to come help me get the harp wow. up every single time. I'd be like, hi. Well, it was yeah. also like the worst staircase you've ever seen. Kind it of. was better than five flights of stairs. Five flights like, of stairs too. Yeah. But would you tell them it was five flights, or would you be like, it's just a few stairs? And then you wait. <laughs> well, I try not to lie, but I don't. I probably didn't offer all of that information. <laughs> Not going to someone happens. out that looks like they're going to the gym anyway. Like, yeah, yeah, probably <laughs> somebody strong. So anyway. that is wow, That's iconic. A lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember that for five flights. That yeah. is so many. Did your harp like? Did you ever have any like really scary moments, or was it just kind of like smooth going all the time? You're like, I'm mastering this five staircase lifestyle. Uh, I don't remember any. First of all, it was a rental. I still oh, okay. didn't have my own harp because. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't remember anything 
bad happening. So I think everything went fine, but it was a rental. I do remember it was a 23. It was really oh, a, wow. a natural oh, wow. 23. It was really beautiful. And were you living with like other musicians in the orchestra program? Yeah, all of us were in the orchestra. Yeah, so all of us in that that three bedroom practicing yes. and then, oh my goodness <laughs> they gave me my own bedroom just because the harp is so large i was like yes oh, that's nice that's yeah that is yeah, so. really convenient what was your journey back to school like so you said it was inspired mm-hmm. by your dad but did you go back to florida state or... no i didn't so um oh the other part of it in a way they gave us lessons mm-hmm. weekly lessons with whoever we wanted and we didn't have to stay with one teacher so i looked at that as an opportunity to kind of get to know a lot of the harpists teachers in the area because I knew I did want to finish my degree and so I studied with um, a lot of different teachers uh, at the time um, and then I just fell in love with Susan Jolis's sound uh, so she plays she still plays she's an associate mm-hmm. member of the Metropolitan Opera and at the time she was doing a lot of new premieres she was in the American Composers Orchestra um, she has the ability to sight read the most difficult of music you can't even imagine just um, but really she studied with Garagene and her sound again was just fantastic so um, I decided I wanted to study with her and she taught at a couple different places at the time but she lived in Queens and she said Laura Queens College which is part of the City University of New York has an excellent music program it's $700 a semester and you can study with me so I it was I only had two years left and so I, I finished my degree at Queens College I got an apartment at Queens I would go to her house and and it turned out that's how I met my Shankarian mentors Shankarian analysis mm-hmm. Um, Carl Schachter, who is like the premier American Shankarian, was my was my undergraduate theory teacher for two years. Wow! So that was an accident, also. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. So yeah, so that's when, where I developed my love of Shankarian analysis there. And then when I went on to Yale, I studied with Alan Fort, who's another big one, and Michigan has a big one too. So anyway, it's just again, kind of like accidents fortuitous accidents <laughs> so yeah. you went back you finished school at mm-hmm. Queens and then after that did you go straight into like uh, graduate programs or did you like also I don't know pursue your career because I know you've done a, like a tour with Barbara Streisand was that all later or after or how's that timeline shaping out yeah <laughs> yeah so the timeline is again I didn't have my act together to apply to grad school because mm-hmm. I was just trying to get the undergrad thing done Mm-hmm. There was one math class in particular. I will never forget. Math is not my strong point. And I was just like, I have to get a C or better. And so I missed all the deadlines for grad school. So I took a, a year off. I just, I freelanced. And also I had a nine to five job because New York is is really um, expensive. I was a secretary and insurance person for a podiatrist. Oh, so okay. that was my, that was my day job and trying to practice and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got in, I auditioned at a couple of different schools, but um Gloria Agostini, I don't know if you know her name, she studied with Grajne also. She, it was her last year at Yale, and I didn't realize it was gonna be her last year, but again, I, she's another person I had taken lessons with, I had the free lessons, beautiful, beautiful sound. She did a lot of the recordings, um, jingles, commercials, things like that, um, and uh, she passed away about 10 years ago, I think. So um, she was teaching at Yale, so I wanted to go to study with her. So she was there my first year, and then she retired, and Nancy Allen came in um, just for the, my second year. And I think she taught there a couple of years too, but you know she was so busy with the Philharmonic and Juilliard that she let, let, let Yale go. But I did have a year to study with her too. So I took a year off, mm-hmm. then I finished my master's at, at Yale, 
And then I, I knew I wanted to get two degrees because I love Shankarian analysis so much. <laughs> and so um, I applied to Eastman and, and University of Michigan, and I got into both in both degrees. So this would have been a second master's in theory and a doctorate in HARP. Um, but I decided to go to Michigan. So all of that kind of was one mm -hmm. after another. I did continue freelancing in New York while I was at Michigan, which I know sounds a little bit... Um, What's the word? Difficult. Difficult. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Ann Arbor to New York. To New York. That's yeah. Yeah. So yeah, most of the time the drive, even in the winter with those Ooh. horrible. Yeah, it was a challenging time, but I didn't want to give up those opportunities. And it wasn't yeah. like every day or anything, but I would make those drives all by myself. Um, How long is the drive? It was like I could do it in 13 hours, but I had to be really careful in Pennsylvania on Interstate 80. I'll never forget because they had always had the speed traps set up there, so I couldn't go <laughs> past there. <laughs> so, so anyway, yeah. So I did. I did the two degrees uh, in four years, which oh, wow. and was a TA in both departments, which um, I think I slept like four hours a night for four years. But oh my gosh, I feel tired still. But it's okay. <laughs> it was really some of the best years of my life. Yeah, I stayed with Lynn Asmusser, oh, which nice. was just so great. She's just a brilliant, brilliant person, scholar, harpist, you know, so it was a really good fit that way. Were you just really like vigilant about time management? Yeah, how did that yeah. work out? Like a job, like working and then also two degrees and then assistantships, like how was that? Yeah, I'm imagining you like in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, like with the like yep. little, little time, like, time thing. Yeah, yeah. time yeah. turning, like, like that doesn't sound humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was time management. I mean, I, I've, I've I because I get nervous about things and I you know I always want to be like extra prepared and stuff like that I've kind of always been like a list person and yeah. you know planning you know this half hour this hour whatever yeah. you know big goals little goals check check everything things all those things help keep me focused and calmer than I would be naturally yeah. <laughs> so it really was a matter a matter of doing that um, and you know, I was young a lot younger than you know so I just had the energy and I just made myself do it yeah. made myself do it um and the passion of studying the two things that I love most really kind of kept me going okay so incredible that is yeah <laughs> when wow. did your like I guess love story with Bach start because oh yeah if that's the right way to put it yeah oh it's <laughs> absolutely thank you for putting it that way um so we need to rewind just okay. a little bit um so as a pianist I started Bach really early like mm -hmm. a lot of other instrumentalists do, you know, violin, cello, organ, piano, lute, guitar, all these. Um, and then when I got to the harp, I was so disappointed. You know, I mean, Renier's done transcriptions, Garage did transcriptions, mm -hmm. but it just wasn't a core part, at least when I was coming up, it wasn't a core part of studying the harp. Um, and I just missed it so much. So I, I pretty much, I wouldn't say from the beginning, um, but certainly like I remember working on the first partita with Gloria Agostini, um, and Susan Jollis, I did some, you know, like just working. And then Rosalind Turek, who was a Bach scholar and harpsichord keyboardist, she came to Yale. She was a guest lecturer the year I was there, and they asked me to be, again, luck or accident or whatever you want to call it, they asked me to be her TA as part of my TA-ship at Yale. And so she taught this Bach for performers class, which is mm -hmm. sort of similar to the one that I class that I teach here at the Frost School of mm -hmm. Music, you know, but I tweaked it a little bit differently um, to suit what I want to do and with current research and stuff. So, um, 
so like I started pretty much from the beginning when I started playing the harp working on Bach but just kept refining all these tools working with different people continuing to do research um, and then for my doctoral dissertation I work with Lynn Asmus. I said, look, I just, all these lute suites are great on the harp and there's no complete addition, you know, of all of them for the instrument. So I, that's what I want to do for my doctoral project. She said, great. So we did it. And of course I had to play it. Um, I had, we had to do three doctoral recitals there. Um, and so I focused on new music and Bach, which again, like I have this publishing company and that's, you know, my, what I focus on on the publishing company too is new music and Bach. So it's been an ongoing love journey yeah. with Bach and um, there's still so much I want to do too, you know, because yeah. he wrote so much. But Do you have any like next upcoming projects with Bach that you are maybe willing to... Um well it's not actually a secret it's um this is kind of a little bit of a detour um, mm -hmm. i've given a couple of online talks like hanging with the harp and the beauty of the harp and they mm -hmm. both focused on bach and a question that i frequently get there and also at different conferences where i present is what can the intermediate intermediate students do you know how how do we get Bach into the harp repertoire at an earlier stage because his music is hard mm -hmm. you know and and so I really want to uh, I mean there are some preludes and fugues as you probably saw with uh, Aaliyah who came who was our undergrad who graduated last year um, I had her start from her first semester on Bach and that's what I, I'm dedicated to doing is any <laughs> freshman that comes here you know just start with Bach that way so I really want to come up with additions that are a little bit um, less um, exact or straight you know they're more they're not exactly arrangements but they make it so it's beneficial for the intermediate students yeah, okay so explain what I'm doing in there like you know if I have to change this or that mm -hmm. um, but have enough of it to be boxed so that people get the musical benefit and the technical benefit um, the structural you know format kind that's of benefit so you know but that's that's kind of a little detour that I want to mm -hmm. do um, and then there's other stuff, but that's that's kind of up next in that's the Bach department. Okay, <laughs> cool. So your other project, I don't know if we're ready to go to this part, but you're about to release a book, right? Well, oh. well, we have to write the book first. <laughs> <laughs> and I say we because Sarah Cutler, who um, New York City Ballet, American Symphony Orchestra, St. Luke's, um, she teaches at Bard up in New York, um, and she's my longtime editing partner. So you probably know I did some editorial, I was the editor of the Harp Journal for three issues and I was on the editing committee, um, editing board, I guess they call it, mm -hmm. for a number of issues. And so her and I just, you know, we have complementary skills and we just really are a good match. And we actually wrote an article together about suppleness. You may remember oh, yes, that article. Yes, yes. Yeah, where mm -hmm. looking at the concept of suppleness mm -hmm. uh, from both the French tradition and also the Salzedo tradition. And it turns out that they're both kind of saying the same thing, but just in different ways. So there's a lot more in common um, than people realize. Um, so her and I, Sarah and I, are co-writing this book, and it's called Young Harpist's Guide to the Orchestra, because we both, you know, we talk a lot, and we were both just saying, you know, we focus so much on solo repertoire or chamber, a little bit of chamber. You know, I've, you know, we want to train our undergraduate harp students to have a positive and successful experience in orchestra but we don't spend a lot of time 
teach them how to do that. And a lot of the things that her and I have learned over the years, it's just trial and error. Like we've made mistakes. So oh, well, teach your students this and this and this. So it's it's really looking at almost every imaginable kind of uh, topic that relates to playing in an orchestra. Everything from the, the mechanics of it, the watching the conductor, talking to the conductor, how to prepare the parts, you know, how to prepare for auditions, um, tuning etiquette, working with stagehands. I mean, you know, in and in and out of halls. I mean, um, attitude. You know, there's everything that we can possibly. It's kind of like our op, what is it, opus magnum or something? Magnum. Is that the magnum, magnum opus? opus. Yeah, <laughs> of the two of us, because between the two of us, we have like I don't know, 80 years of ensemble experience and a lot of different genres, and we think that's important too. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But, you know, dealing with technology in the ears and being on tour and, you know, uh, mm. she's, you know, I only done a couple of concertos, but she's done uh, quite a few concertos, you know, so just how to be mm. a, a respected soloist, you know, all these different things. So it is a work in progress. We're collaborating on it. We're, um, um, it's slow going, but I think that's going to make it even better because of that, because we just both have so many ideas that we want to get on the page, but we do have a website um and we do have social media yes. so uh what is it called harpist guide i think i think so harpist think, guide on, yeah, instagram. on instagram yeah yeah so it's a work in progress yeah. and in fact i have in my mind that there's one topic that i want to write like the uh a, an article or the chapter mm-hmm. about and then maybe send it to the harp column or something like as a preview like this is what we're doing this is one topic it has to do with rhythm Okay. Yeah, which is so important and something that we don't talk about. Yeah. Because, sure. yeah, anyway. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. I guess we're, since we've been kind of talking about studies and all of that, can you talk a little bit about um, your time in Italy and maybe how when you were in England, I think, was it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. About those I, uh, moments of your life? Because I think we've talked about, you've probably yeah. you've brought it up to, I think, all your students at one or t- time or another, but it'd be nice to get, like, the... Yeah, like, was that from school, or was that just later? Yeah, yeah. So the England part came first. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a grant to study with Rosalind Turek. She was living in Oxford at the time. And so for a semester, I moved to Oxford, and I flew my harp there, my my gold (laughs) 22 harp there. And um, I lived right across the street from her, and so I had daily lessons with her and gave recitals and stuff. And and it was all exclusively the lute suites, the Bach lute suites. So I spent an entire semester working with her on the lute suites. Is this during your doctorate? During my doctorate. So that's what it's like. You were working on your doctoral project while I was Mm -hmm. speaking. Yeah, yeah. So what was shipping your harp like? Yeah, I've done that a number of times. Um, it's always stressful. Um, at least at the time, I, I haven't shipped it. I haven't been in charge of shipping it. Like one, the most recent tours, which have been 2006, 8, 13, 14. I think those are like my most, most recent. That they're all It's all taken care of by the company management. But just personally shipping my instrument can be stressful. I would always have to go claim it. <laughs> at um you know at the airports and, and figure out how to get it to where I needed to go and things like that so nothing uh, knock on wood or whatever ever happened to the instrument I've had things happen in halls uh, with stagehands but never with the shipping it goes into the belly you know in the yeah. big, big case this might be a stupid question but mm-hmm. like do they like roll it out on the same thing as a luggage no <laughs> yeah. no you have to go to a certain part of the airport okay. and it's a little tri- you know because I flew it into Rome six times because I did the Spoleto festivals there mm-hmm. for six summers um, 
and I seem to remember maybe at the Rome airport, like it was nearby or something, or maybe they had somebody to take me to where it was, but I don't remember it being as big a production. I just remember at JFK, like I had to go get in a car, go to a different part of the airport and claim it. And meanwhile, you know, this always happens. There's summer festivals, so it's like really hot outside. And I was like, oh, I have to hurry up and get my harp. I hope it's not sitting on the tarmac, you know. Oh my gosh. So it, yeah. it was stressful, but there, I, there are probably easier ways to do it now. I don't know, but. Um, I haven't been in charge of that for quite a while, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. So then Italy. Italy yeah. Oh, Italy. Yeah. So yeah, Italy. So um, the second, um, the Spoleto Festival used to be split into two parts. There's a part that's in Charleston. Uh, Giancarlo Minotti started it way back when. And so I did that for six summers. Um, and then, so that would be that. And then we would fly to Italy to do... The whole group would fly? Mm, well, you auditioned for it, and some people got picked to do both parts of the festival. Mm. Sometimes they didn't need, you know, like I think somebody was a second harpist. We we did um, Rosen Cavalier in Charleston, but whatever repertoire we was do, we were doing in Italy didn't need a second harp. Mm -hmm. Something like that happened. Um, so, so, yeah, so I spent six summers in Spoleto, Italy, as well, doing, doing that festival, which is incredible. And it usually included chamber music, plus operas and all kinds of fun activities. Is that where you were introduced to the Baroque harp or was Oh, that okay, that? so I've been to, this is a different Italy <laughs> this thing. This is a different this Italy <laughs> segment, okay. So there's that and then um, there's a, an incredible historical harp scholar and performer. Uh, she's Italian in Milan named Mara Galassi. And so I met her at a historical harp conference in California her and Cheryl Ann Fulton were hosting it um, that particular year. I think it was 2015. Um, and I met Mara and went to all of her classes and just fell in love with her. She said, hey, I do a, you know, a triple harp uh, uh, course in a castle in Brescia, Italy. Wow. Do you want to come? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, two years later, I, I applied to the American Harp Society for their grant program. And I did win a grant to do this, so that definitely helped. And so I went there to study with her in Paternello Castle in, as I said, Brescia, Italy, which is kind of north-east-ish um, part. It's not too far from um, where Stradivarius, the Stradivarius Museum is. Oh, wow. yeah. And I didn't have time to go there. I was so mad. Um, but it's it's very rural cows and stuff, and, and they cook wow. you homemade lunches every day, and you just sit in this old castle so learning all about it. you got to stay in it. the castle with her. Not in the castle. So the castle's more like a working castle where they mm -hmm. have functions and concerts and stuff like that. But they put us up in, um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was, uh, oh yeah, it was, they call it like an agricultural uh, bed and breakfast. I forget what the Italian like term. Mm, but it's more like you stay on somebody's farm and they have okay. rooms for people, you know, okay. and, and they give you, you know, you can pay for the, the dinner option, which I always did because most of the time it was stuff that they grew or people wow. that baked and yeah, it was incredible. I highly recommend it. And so it's not just the triple harp too. Anna, uh, Anna Loro is her name. She mm -hmm. has uh, students um, who study the pedal harp there with her. I think they have accordion lessons. It's a big thing in Italy. Wow. Like, yeah, we went to one concert together. It was all the accordion ensemble, <laughs> <laughs> which was fun. Um, so it's just, it was an incredible experience just studying with her. And then afterwards, as part of the grant program, they like for you to report in, uh, to write something about it. And it turned out 
uh, Laura and I collaborate, I said, look, you know, the American audience doesn't know a lot about the Italian Baroque triple harp. So um, we collaborated on an article that told about my experience, but also some of the basics about how to play that incredible instrument. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Yeah. So that was a lot more recent than I thought it was. 2017. 2017. Oh, okay. Wow. So it's never too late to start. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I really, I hate, I, I'm hesitant to share this, but literally the, the first time I sat down and tried to play a triple harp, what passed through my mind was, why did I waste my life? <gasps> studying the pedal heart or, or I wish I had a second life let me put it that way I wish I had another lifetime to to learn this instrument because the tension so much less mm -hmm. you can be immediately expressive immediately I mean it's really hard getting the sharps and flats mm -hmm. you know because it's there's three rows right mm -hmm. um two diatonic and then the chromatics in the middle so you're reaching in so you have to alter your technique um but it's so immediately, the feedback on it, like the emotional feedback on it is immediate and just glorious. And I really, I actually approached the Dean here once and said, hey, can we get one? Cause I had a student who wanted to study that instrument with me. I said, yeah, I only know the basics. We don't even own an instrument, but we can explore this together. But there wasn't funding at the time and we needed a new pedal harp instead, so. Have you thought about getting your own and yes continuing the studies. I've, I've been in touch with two of the major makers of the harps um it's not in my budget right now but <laughs> someday I would love to do that but I, I know exactly one of two makers um one's in Italy I'm trying to remember where the other one in Germany in Germany and I follow them on social media and I listen to all the recordings of all the people that own their instruments play and it's just so beautiful it's wow. incredible but I do love the pedal harp. I don't want to yeah, give you the yeah, wrong impression. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone through all this last 40 years <laughs> if I didn't. So. <laughs> so can we like maybe turn around and talk about your like Broadway career with Wicked and then with Hamilton? And of course, you have like the beautiful little yeah. <laughs> backdrop <laughs> here. Yeah. back here. Um, yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, yeah, like just how did that, did you have to audition to yeah. get what's all that? The what's, the, what's the timeline? Here? What's the process? Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> where did they like, cause like, you know, I know they post like orchestra auditions, like where did they post the Broadway auditions? But how do you get into that? Yeah. Yeah. So there, there are no official auditions. Um, mm. Again, I just kind of fell into this, you know, I started with the tours and then when I came back, um, <clears throat> I, I should preface it by saying I always wanted to be an opera harpist. That the very first classical music um, performance I ever went to was at the Virginia Opera. It was some Puccini, I can't remember which one it was, but I just sat there enthralled and said, I want to be a part. This is before I even learned to play the harp. I was a Girl Scout. And I just sat there watching this opera and everybody's making fun of it and everything. And, and I'm just like in tears and said, I want, I want to do something with that, you know? <laughs> um, so um, when I got back to, to New York after studies and, and all like that, the only reliable income for all of us, like 52 weeks a year, is Broadway. And so I don't want you to think that that was my sole motivator, but definitely if you're move, moving back to New York and you need to, to make a living, you know, um, I just called all the harpists who had jobs on Broadway at the time. There were a lot more than there are now for sure. Um, and said, hey, if you need a sub, you know, I'm just out of school. I did all these tours, let me know. And so I just started like right away getting into the sub pool for all these things. 
Um, and then once you do a really good job, can I just tell you what it means to do a good job? Yes. So there are no rehearsals. You know that, right? Like no, you just sit, yeah. So <laughs> you just, you go and you sit and watch the regular, the regular harpists do it like two, three times, sometimes four times if it's a really difficult part and you watch the conductor and you just, you can record Back then we would have to like bring our cassette players or whatever, you know, like through the years it's changed. Now they have video ones that you can practice with. They didn't have that. When I was coming up, you all, you had to do it all through your ears <laughs> orally and just kind of remember all the ticks of what the conductor is doing you know so you just sit with them then you go home and you practice 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 uh, you have to be over prepared because of course it's music it's not going to be exactly the same way each time you know singers are going to breathe in different places etc so you have to be flexible in addition to knowing it and who you're playing with and that chair could have a sub and they might do that different so there, there are all these variables so you just have to have super big ears be a really good kind of chamber musician or have good chamber skills and you have to nail it a hundred percent the first time or you don't get passed but you would think with my personality type that that would terrify me i loved it like i don't know what it was i think it's because of the immediate reward of an over preparer like myself saying i did it you know, i did it you know like i i just i just focused really hard and just knew it inside out and then you know each time just kind of nail it and so once you start becoming a reliable sub in different shows then the contractors start hearing your names because they keep an eye on everything like you do not contact at least back then you didn't contact any of the contractors you just you you did the work you tried to sound like the harpist the regular harpist they always said the best compliment is if the conductor didn't know that the regular harpist was out if you did something that was different, that was, even if it was like musical or good or whatever, no, like you don't play louder, you don't play softer, you just try to mimic her or him, right? Um, and then, so the contractors get to know you. And so I, at the time, um, I was subbing on five shows and then Beauty and the Beast, the regular harpist, uh, Stacey Shames, she was on maternity leave for a year. And I think they had like 12 or 13 harpists on the sub list at the time. The conductor picked me out of all those oh. he said I want you to, to to do the the year so I had a year's where there was the first time in my life I ever had a show that long right mm -hmm. and during that time and I think partially because of that another contractor said hey there's this new show coming um, would you like to play it's called Wicked we're not sure how long it's gonna run you know but um, we need a harpist you want to do it so I immediately went from Beauty and the Beast to Wicked and we thought it was only going to be about six months because it was at the Gershwin Theater, which is the largest musical theater theater on Broadway, mm -hmm. and the overhead's really, really high. Um, and they're still running. It's going to be their 20th anniversary wow. in, in October this year. And I did the first 15 years wow. of that. Yeah. So in Wicked, I think you've mm -hmm. talked to me about this before. You were in a room alone, right? You yeah. weren't with all the other musicians. Yeah, yeah. So this, there's a lot of scenery with Wicked. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of moving parts. And so even though it's a large musical theater, um, there was a big thing that went down the, the center of the pit. And so they, it took up a bunch of room. And so there was no room left for me or the percussionists. And so they put us in separate rooms on stage level in what's considered a star's dressing room. So I was in a dress, a star's dressing room that used to be for Yul Brenner and Elaine Stritch. Yeah, like I don't, these are old timey like Broadway names, but they were big, really like King and I, he was the original oh, wow. King and I, yeah, Yul Brenner. So, um, and Elaine Stritch is, 
Google her. She's she's a riot. She was a riot. Um, so yeah, I was there by myself in a windowless room, fluorescent lit, um, for 15 years. <laughs> so like, did you have a click track in your ear? How did you know when to come in? Yeah. So um, this is this is a great question for me and also for my subs and how I train my subs, right? So um, I, by the end, I had in-ears because headphones I kept like my glasses my brain I mean we're talking eight shows a week six days a week for years and years and years right so I had in-ears a monitor a mixing monitor so I could I I studied the score and figured out who I needed to play with at every moment important moment and I programmed it into the monitor so I would just go and it'd be like okay now I hear the clarinet so I could play with that but again you know I was doing this for years so I'm watching a TV monitor mm -hmm. I'm listening to my ears there's no click track there are two microphones one pretty close to the high end because the harp was considered the, a rhythm part of the rhythm section for that show so they really wanted like a, a, a not abrasive but a, a you know a, a strong attack mm -hmm. they wanted me to, to sound like a rhythm so we had the Bloom microphone, you know, it was further away, and then the one that was really close to the soundboard. Um, and yeah, I would just follow the conductor on there and listen as carefully as I could. By about year two or three, I had muted out all the vocals because I just found I could hear the instruments better. One of the biggest problems, which turned out to be a, a good education, is that the musicians in the pit would turn down the monitors so I was they couldn't hear me most of the time mm -hmm. but we're doing this chamber music like sections so I would have to listen extra hard I can't see them I don't know what they're doing you know but I I became a better mm -hmm. musician especially from a chamber music perspective because they refused to turn up the <laughs> monitors because I would have to memorize everybody's tendencies because when I say everybody I'm talking about the regular musicians and everybody's allowed Technically, you're only supposed to have five subs, but that's every like 20 something instruments times five. So I have to memorize how everybody does their parts so that when I need to play with them, because some people read the, the, the beat, the conductors stick a little bit ahead of others. Mm -hmm. Some, especially we had a clarinet, a couple of clarinetists who were so behind the beat and we're coming in exactly the same time and it had to be together or you get the glare, you know, from <laughs> the conductor. And the glare was always gonna be at me because I'm the one that's not in the room even though yeah. they're not listening to me. So, but again, it was really a great education. It was tough being in a room by myself, you know, um, but it, I got a lot done. It turned out to be my office. I'd have rehearsals there. I'd take naps between shows. <laughs> I had all my music there, you know, I just kind of made the most of it. But after about 15 years, uh, when this job came open, I said, you know, let me put those degrees to use. And I always did want to get back to teaching yeah. full-time. That's so. incredible. So did you maintain like a private studio while you were doing Broadway and all of that? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, chamber music and all kinds of, you know, symphony. I would sub the New York City Ballet and American Composers Orchestra. And I would just love yeah. to see the face of like the first sub you were explaining this to. Oh like where you're like, and then you have to listen to this. It's like, not only do you have to sit here and get it all 100% correct. Yeah, but. I mean, it was hard enough when you're in the pit, but it mm -hmm. made it extra hard. So I think you might know who my first sub was that I trained, Park Stickney. Oh, wow. Really? He, yeah, because I thought, who would be really good at this? Like who would, you know, at the time, we're talking again, like almost 20 years ago, you know, who would just, you know, 
seem to be with it with all like flexible yeah. you know and have a, a lot of different experiences and um, I knew him because he was at Juilliard and I would go hear him play his classical stuff while he was studying um, yeah so uh, Park was my first sub before he moved to Switzerland he was based in New York then and he, he met a Swiss woman and, and married her and moved to Aww, Switzerland but he was my very first sub and he did great Wow. Yeah. Was he just totally unfazed by all of yes. that? Yes. <laughs> He's a brilliant man. Brilliant. Yeah. He did it. And he has incredible rhythm. You know, he wow. does mostly jazz, you know, yeah. so that's, yeah. So he, I was so happy when he could do it. And it was a really great experience. But again, he had to move. So. Wow. Yeah. That's so interesting. Amazing. Um, Hamilton. Yes. <laughs> Hamilton. Well, can I introduce the the latest member yes, of our, our yeah. family here? So this just came in the mail. This is um, from Hamilton. So it turns out that um, this cast recording is the first one in the history of musical theater history to have diamond, certified diamond sales. So um, I forget what that means. Is that one million? I can't no, remember. Ten. Ten million. That's a lot of zeros. Oh, ten million. Yeah, 10 I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have looked at that earlier. Yeah. So the entire cast recording is sold mm -hmm. ten million, and then all the fine print is the individual songs and how many um, platinums or gold or whatever that they have. So, um, but I should probably tell you why it's sitting in this in our harp studio here. Um, so when I played at Wicked, our first uh, keyboard player who and he then he became our music director. He was our second music director. Was Alex Lackmore who is the, um, was a music director and also the musical creator with Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton. And so when they were gonna do the cast recording for Hamilton, um, he wanted to add the harp. Now, the reason they didn't have harp in the pit is um, it, it was a very, I think it's a St. James Theater. It's a small, older theater with a small pit. So they didn't have room, um, was probably the main reason they didn't, but he knew for the cast recording he wanted to add it. and he wanted me to do it because we just of our relationship and playing so much together at Wicked and I was incredibly I'm still incredibly honored and incredibly grateful that he asked me to do that um, and so yeah just kind of um, in one day they had the for me the recording session with everybody else but all the, the regular musicians they did the off-Broadway run at the public theater for about a year so like they knew this music <laughs> inside yeah. out and you know I didn't I was just I practiced really hard and was listening to recordings and stuff like that but I was the newbie there you know mm -hmm. so but it was really it was one of the highs of my entire life was doing those recording sessions for that and at the time I didn't know you know how popular it would be I knew that I was blown away by it um just sitting in the pit listening before the <laughs> recording session and when the first um kind of like scratching of the record or like you know all these digital sounds that come in like these are things that we didn't hear that often on Broadway you know, um, it was just very contemporary sound and fantastic. And it's rap and hip hop and mm -hmm. classical. And it's just an, a beautiful amalgamation of different styles too, which is totally Alex um, and Lynn. Um, so yeah, it, it was an exciting experience in my life. That's and that's incredible. why it's here because now it's, it's Diamond. So that's welcome to the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. Yeah, it is really awesome. So you moved to Miami in 2019. Uh -huh. Yeah, I left Wicked after 15 mm -hmm. years. And um, because this job came open, they were looking for somebody. 
uh, with harp and music theory, and especially somebody to, to teach and carry an analysis because they had this course, but it hadn't been taught in a long time because nobody uh, in this, the faculty at the moment ha has that expertise. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. That's great. And could you maybe tell us about some of the stuff you've been doing here in Miami outside of teaching? Yeah. Oh, you sure. you still keep your, like, you still freelance and you still... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I definitely moved here for the gig and I just, uh, the gig meaning the teaching <laughs> job <laughs> to be here at Frost. And when I first moved to town, I just like, like I, I would do any time I move somewhere else, I would just reach out to the local harpist and say, hey, I'm not here to take your work. I'm here, you know, I'm here to do X, Y, and Z. In this case, I'm here to teach. I said, but if somebody gets sick, you need a second or a third harpist or whatever. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. Here's my resume. Just let me know. So that was 2019. We all know what happened in 2020, you know? <laughs> so like there were no gigs. There was, you know, we were all just struggling with, um, you know, the pandemic and everything. So, and once all that, uh, started clearing out um, I I started getting calls um, for things and then when people would hear me play they would say hey do you want to come back do you want to come back so Florida is um, a, a right to work state meaning it's not a union state so um, it's not like they have auditions and you know you're given tenure or anything like that they do it's more of a fluid policy but once a contractor respects your work then they tend to to ask you back so right now i'm playing with the new deco ensemble which uh, i i split the job with christina finch because mm -hmm. she was here before um but she had to move out of town but she comes back for that a couple times a year um the palm beach symphony with gerard schwartz who's our musical director here at frost and um uh symphony of the americas and I'm missing one. The opera. Oh yeah. my goodness! I finally got my own opera job, <laughs> the Florida Grand Opera. That was my dream come true. And again, they just asked me to play, and that I'm sitting there, and I said, oh, "This is the job that I always wanted." Aww. It just came to me. You know what yeah. I mean? So I mean, I have to practice and you know do a yeah. good job and everything. But really, that's that really touches my heart the most. Aww. Not to diminish any of the other stuff, because it's all fun. <laughs> the one that you forgot. But <laughs> the one that I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, and just, you know, chamber music stuff. We're starting um, a, a trio, uh, some of us Palm Beach Symphony musicians, Chauncey Patterson and Joe, I can't remember the flutist's last name off the top of my head, but we're starting a, a trio. Um, we're trying to come up with a name right now. So um, we want to get that going. So it's, it's really so exciting. exciting. There's there's so many excellent musicians down here and um, and a lot of work. The season is truncated because it's so hot. Mm -hmm. So like it gets rolling kind of like October and by May it's definitely over. So it's, you know, it's like everything hits at once and it gets really busy with the teaching and the playing, but I feel very grateful to be able to do it all. So this is like a three-part question. Okay. But that was not on the email of the questions that we sent but what would your advice be for like a high schooler going into their undergraduate an undergraduate student going into their masters and then a master's student like the you yeah, know what I'm yeah the full training <laughs> educational so, advice so educate so like be specific like like how to how to like choose what, a, if you could tell like the nervous 18 year old harpist going into college like one thing what would it be it's a huge question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be harp related. Maybe no, it's just it could life just advice. Be life advice. Yeah. 
stay open to possibilities mm -hmm. and follow your intuition can it be a two-part answer yeah, two yes. yeah because you can't just do everything you know like oh yeah. i love to you know to go out late at night and party yeah. you know so i'm gonna do that no that's not what i mean but uh -huh. just especially music wise you know just open ears open heart you know open eyes yeah. being open to people because you never know who you're gonna gonna meet and who you're gonna click with yeah. you know some of my dearest dearest friends are actually from my grad school days you know that i just because especially in music theory that i just kind of click with so mm -hmm. as an undergrad it can be very scary changing leaving home you know going to a new environment new people but just that tapping into the passion of it hopefully mm -hmm. keeps those fears and anxieties at bay a little bit mm -hmm. um masters um i would i know personally what i focused on is like hooray i can only study what i love <laughs> you know because in undergrad yeah. you have to take the math and the science and all these other mm -hmm. things which is great we should you know it's good to have a well-rounded education um but i was just so looking forward to taking all music classes and being people who are only studying music. So again, for me, it's that connection with others, you know, staying open to that, being around people that are like me, but different enough that you're always learning from them. You know, so again, being open to that experience. And then the doctorate, um, definitely there's a scholarly component to the doctorate that everybody should just be aware of going into it, you know, um, and being comfortable with that because sometimes people can be surprised by it, um, especially if um, they haven't had a lot of the musical scholarly classes in their master's or their mm -hmm. undergraduate. Mm -hmm. So, um, but again, it's, it's rigorous work, so it has to be something you're really passionate about and just staying in tune with that. I guess that's kind of the overall theme for me anyway. <laughs> I don't know, that, that helps calm me. Yeah. It's like, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, I love this. I want to share this with a, whether it's performing or I love writing now. You know, I love writing because I want to share these ideas with people. So it's not a me thing. It's me going out and sharing with others. And that's what keeps me motivated and going and a little bit calmer than usual. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you like to do for fun that you'd like to share anything about? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. best harpist hobbies. Yeah. Harpist <laughs> hobbies. Well, it's, it's kind of individual. Um, I could say the one that benefits me the mo that I most benefit from as a harpist is yoga because we have to move these instruments. So staying flexible and having upper some kind of upper body strength is really, really important. So, and especially the older everybody gets, like just keep that on the rotation if that works for you. So that's a big mm -hmm. one in my life. I've taken up swimming lately, which I do every day, I, in between thunderstorms here in the summertime. Yeah. <laughs> I just look out the window, so here's my chance, and, and go out and swim. And I find that that really helps a lot, you know, keeping flexible and good for your joints. Um, Non-harp-wise, I love to sail, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to move down here, because Biscayne Bay is just right down the street, mm -hmm. and it's really beautiful. They call it like a bathtub, unless there's <laughs> some kind of big storm or, or something, you know, but it's like manageable enough for somebody who's learning how to sail to learn. Um, they have people from all over the world, sailors from all over the world of all ages, who come here in the wintertime and train, and they host practice races and things. Sometimes I'm part of the race committee for them so I can learn about that and learn yeah. how to do the flags and the, all the calls. Um, so sailing's a big part of my life, swimming, reading, playing with my cats, <laughs> <laughs> cooking, you know, all kinds of things. But I just, I love it down here in Miami and South Florida. 
with all the tropical plants. I just feel like even though we're in a city, there's nature everywhere. Yes. It's very refreshing. And the air, it may be thick in the summer, <laughs> but it's fresh. Like I can breathe because you're always getting those sea breezes, mm-hmm. both either from the Atlantic on one side or the Biscayne Bay on the other side. Um, whereas New York was just, it gets so oppressive. I found it really hard to breathe in the summertime. <laughs> So just, those are some of the activities that I like to do, but I know that's very personal, you know, but they help me. Yes. So, um, we're like starting to wrap up here, right? We're starting to wrap up here. So we would love to do like a speed round. Oh my goodness. Some questions and you just have to like, you have to go and it might be wrong and it might be hard, but just like the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Um, We can take turns asking questions. I want to know what is your favorite piece to play on the harp? Bach. But that's 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 person. Uh, 997. 997, okay. No, you, I don't have these questions. You don't have these questions. And for people who don't know, it's BWV 997. BWV 997. This is in C minor. I probably should have said 998, but 997 or 998. Okay, we'll not tell you back. Okay. Follow the question. What is, yeah, forever known as 998. Who knows? gig that you've ever had playing with Barbara Streisand an arena with 20,000 plus people and it sounds like she's singing right in your ear and there's a big heart part that I'm wrapped around her sound and and playing off her musicality oh, wow. yeah for sure okay I thought of one this is not on our Go ahead. List. weirdest comment someone's given you about the harp while you're out on a gig well, we, oh, this is lightning. I'm not lightning. I'm sorry. That's okay. I mean, we all get the same comments, right? Well, I mean, we get, is that a cello? Is that a tuba? Is that a piccolo, perhaps? Did, don't you wish you played it? But yeah, once I was, I was rolling my heart through Central Park because I had to get somewhere, and they said, is that a big mitten? <laughs> that's kind of weird, right? Really I think that's the strangest one, if that's yeah. your question. That's yeah. the strangest okay. one. That's yeah. the strangest one. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Oh, I had, is, this a, is that a dead body once? I don't know if you ever got that, <laughs> wow. too. That's kind of weird. That's, that was another New York experience. It's very, it's a little dark. Yeah. yeah. One, well, I'm not going to tell the story. No, I think you should. Let's okay. hear it. My family had, like, one of those big, like, harp transport cases in my garage and one time I had like friends over I was little and I told them that it was a coffin and like one of my dead family members was in it and they believed me (laughs) anyway that that makes I'm the weird person in that story (laughs) you have a good sense of humor I like that a little dark like that's uh <laughs> how long did they did that like did they just get like i honestly don't i don't know <laughs> but i just remember telling them that like it's believable it looks I like mean, a it looks yeah. like a coffin. yeah it does yeah it does. okay next question next question <laughs> um what is the weirdest thing you've seen happen in a like a rehearsal the, oh my gosh I have one for a concert oh yes. that works too yeah concert oh my gosh so it's a little bit sad okay oh. it's a little bit of a story it's a little bit sad but I was playing the Dominican Republic and they had some additional musicians come in and one of them was an older gentleman um, a saxophone player and and I think he he you know he's a little bit older maybe a little dementia or something but during the concert he got out nail clippers and clipped his nails <laughs> So again, I, it's a little bit sad, you know, but you know, everybody knows that yeah. sound, you know, but we just, we couldn't believe it. And like, you're in the middle of the concert, you can't be like, stop, you know, don't do that. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the weirdest, but I don't know if you want to. 
Do you think that he like did that regularly, or was it just like I, oopsies? I, I don't. I I think it was a, a mental oopsies. Oh, yeah, it was kind of sad. My great grandfather used to bring t- like toenail clippers with him to church every week, and would like clip his nails in church. Wow. So maybe it's like a an older generational yeah, thing. thing. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Like, yeah. Anyway, that that's kind of weird. But I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised when people talk back to the conductor. Oh, that, yeah. that that's that's a no-no that mm-hmm. as a teacher i just want to keep <laughs> i know you all wouldn't do it but i mean i've seen some pretty shot people say some pretty shocking things to yeah conductors. for sure and it's always such like whiplash where it's like especially when it's like a student teacher kind of setting and you're mm-hmm. just kind of like you're like what do you know about anything sir <laughs> do you like you're what like, like where did 18? you find the audacity <laughs> like someone who's worked in the industry for years and you're still trying to figure out how to separate your lights and darks like come on save it <laughs> okay this is not a question but can you tell us about the time you met matthew mcconaughey because he's from Longview too. Oh my goodness, <laughs> absolutely. You know, that that story actually came in my mind earlier uh-huh. about something. So I used to play at the Ritz-Carlton Central Park during tea time. I did that for almost seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, again, we're always looking for steady gigs in New York and that was one of them. That was mine. I split with a, a friend of mine. And and so you see all kinds of people. I mean, that's one of the, what is one of the premier hotels in the town. And, and so... Um, at the time, I didn't watch much TV or see many movies or whatever. I was just kind of busy getting my career together. And so a nice-looking guy comes in, and he, you know, we're right across from Central Park. So he, I guess, just taken a run, went for a run around Central Park. He's in his shorts and he's sweaty, and he comes up and he, he seems pretty confident to put it to put it mildly. And as he comes up, I notice the other server or the servers. They're like, oh my gosh, and pointing and stuff. And I'm like who is this guy? And so he just comes up to me and he says, Hey, you know, he has a, a little bit of Southern accent. I'm not going to mimic it or whatever, but he's like, hi there. I, you know, I'm a musician. I'm like, Oh, that's great, sir. Cause we were trained like there, you, they're very strict. You had to put your hair back. Your jewelry had to be very minimal. You know, you, um, yes, sir. No, sir. Like very strict with the, the, so yes, sir. Oh, that's nice, sir. And I, you're not supposed to stop. So I'm trying to play and talk, which I'm not good at. Right. And then, and I'm like, oh, what do you play? Said, oh, I play the drums. I, That's really great. And meanwhile, there's this big commotion, you know, over there with the other employees going, yeah. that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. But I had no idea who he was. And so I don't remember what else happened. But later on, they told me that that was Matthew McConaughey. So I was like, who's that? And they're like, Laura, Laura, what are you in popular culture? You just don't know your popular culture. But he was handsome. Yeah. He's, he's from Longview. That's amazing. That's where you're from. <laughs> yes, Did he like want to run for like mayor or governor at some point? In I Texas? don't know. I feel like he had like a weird like him. political ambition in Yule, Texas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I've heard that he doesn't like claim Longview as his hometown, and he says that it's Austin. But us oh. from Longview, we all claim oh, him. Oh my god! Okay, that's wow. funny. And maybe it was like mayor of Austin because there was a period of time where my like my dad found out about it and he would just go around saying like all right all right all right like all the time it was like everyone was going insane because of that well okay so speed round questions are we done do we have any more speed run questions well I would like like tell people who are listening where they can find you online okay. and any upcoming yeah. performances sure yes. so um my personal social is busy tuning 
because we have a lot of strings and we spend most of our time tuning. Yes. And um, so you can find me there. And as I said, I'm writing this book with co-writing it with Sarah Cutler, uh, Harpist Guide, Young Harpist Guide to the Orchestra. Um, a lot of performances here in the area, Florida Grand Opera, Palm Beach Symphony, New Deco, um, Symphony of the Americas. Um, don't have any chamber music performances yet, but we're trying to set those up. And I'm trying to think what else we're doing, what I'm doing. And teach, you know, and yeah. teach. So um, designing this new class, which is uh, the harp or orchestra excerpts class, which, and we're going to dive deep into opera as well as symphony. So, so I'm in the process of developing this new course here at the Frost School of Music, University of Miami. Mm -hmm. Great, that's a lot yeah. of stuff. Go Canes! Yes. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for coming out to mm -hmm. join us here. Um, it was such a joy to listen to you talk about all this really cool yeah. and exciting stuff. Um, yeah, this was very fascinating. This is very oh, fascinating. We've known you for like years now. <laughs> like, we just get like snippets of your like Literally. life, and we finally have it's like we, we had it. little beads, and we're able to like string it all together. Oh, in our heads yeah, well, that's you. very nice. And yeah. like maybe we're not really sure the direction where this show is going to necessarily. Perhaps one day we'll have you back for. I'm sure more we stuff. Be bothering you about <laughs> yes. all the time. Well, thank you yeah. again, and again, it's just such an honor to be your very first guest. I'm really touched by that. Thank you, and I'm so proud of you both. Aww. You have such great ideas and you're so creative and gung-ho about things <laughs> and it's just it's very inspiring to me Aww. to watch you all grow and create so thank you for that and i wish your podcast the best going forward